Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another podcast. Man, uh, it seems like we were just talking about the Bears earlier this week, and that's because we were. Uh, if you guys haven't seen our Cardinals postgame uh, podcast, go ahead and check that out. But uh, today, we're going to be focusing on the potential for the Chicago Bears to go in to Green Bay and upset the Packers. You know, I think it's probably a 50-50 chance that we do that. Um <laughs> <laughs> but uh me but uh we we won't get too hung up on the potential that we don't do that i i cringed a little bit because i thought it was going to be like a a little detour into what the commentators always like to talk about and that's the playoffs you know and they're like <laughs> oh you know you know this bears team they're only a game out of it and i was like well it doesn't feel like it <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it certainly doesn't feel like it and to be honest i don't really even care um and and, and some weird like universe somehow the lions aren't even mathematically eliminated yet really um, i i saw that earlier this week and i'm not sure how that's even possible but i guess there currently is a route for the lions to get into the playoffs so chris collinsworth coming on uh nfl network or whatever tv show and they're like you know th- this team they've got a chance they have a real chance to make a run at it they got no. a lot of young talent <laughs> now uh, this is a team yeah now, now here's a team <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, we, we thank you guys. I, the funny thing is, is that there's actually a, a percentage of fans that say that they would rather watch the game with the, out the announcers. And I'm just so against that. Like, I think that like the announcers are at times hilariously dumb with what they say. Um, but at the same time, it's like, I've watched a couple of like games without announcers like th- like some people on youtube will like block out the announcers and be like this is what football could be like and it's just like it, it's still football but it's kind of interesting hearing you know different perspectives on it as you're watching the game you you know what you know what i will watch every now and then because i have like the espn app and mm-hmm. i don't have like even um like an xfinity tv service but i still log in through the app so every now and then, like, I won't have access to the game unless it's, like, the game cast for, like, some of these college mm-hmm. football games. And that's where you only get, like, the stadium sound. Mm-hmm. And it's not mm-hmm. quite the same, but it's intra- It's still very watchable for me. You know, I'm someone that's just a, a football fan, but a good, a good commentating pair goes a long way. I will say there are some out there where I could... I could do without some of their comments <laughs> sometimes. Um, but usually it's not 100% terrible. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's there's plenty of those for sure, but uh, you know I think that the the real elephant in the room for the NFL this week has been Mac Jones two for three 19 yard performance to upset the Buffalo Bills. Man, when I was watching that game, I, it was almost like hilarious because I think it kind of echoed exactly what we have been saying on this podcast and what we have been saying even going into the draft with Mac Jones. Nothing against Mac Jones. He wasn't asked to throw the ball that much. It's not on him. But just what he is asked to do is so minute, even compared to guys like Zach Wilson, who has had a really bad year, but also has had much more big play percentage than he has. Um, It's just, it's kind of crazy, I feel like. The NFL at times really tries to force like the Patriot pipeline, uh, like the the like how how well Bill Belichick does, um, and at times I think it's a little it's a little off. Like a player that this reminds me a lot of is I'm sure you'll remember Chase Winovich. Oh yeah, yeah, he's a good player. I mean, he's a fine player. He just he he 
is falling back to the average because it's almost like he had a good start, good start to his rookie season. Um, he played at Michigan. He was like the guy that's, you know, always in the playbook or whatever they want to play it up to be. Um, and he, he, he's a total Patriots match. Uh, and, and since then he's kind of been, I guess you could say a letdown, even though he was drafted in like the third round or whatever. Um, and it's, it's this constant storyline. Like they, the NFL wants to preach that Bill Belichick is this, this genius and he is, he is very smart, but, um, at times I feel like they jumped the gun on it. <laughs> I mean, look, it's not the only way to do things a hundred percent. I mean, if you think that the Patriot way as it's always dubbed is a hundred percent, the way to do things. Then, then you're wrong. I mean, flat out. I mean, you know, look at other Super Bowl winners. It's not like the Patriots have won every Super Bowl that Bill Belichick's ever been a, a part of. I and mean, it feels like it. <laughs> and it feels like he's at least been in the game if they haven't been winning it. But at the same time, you know, there certainly is something to it. But I think what it is is kind of just the building culture. And I don't think other teams need to replicate mm-hmm. the culture either. I think that the Patriot culture is something that really only kind of works for them. And at times is even detrimental to the Patriots, but that is a, a football culture where there is certainly a pretty clear expectation. There mm-hmm. is a, a very clear expectation. And I, I think too, you know, people probably didn't put enough stock in all the players that they missed with COVID last year. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they had a lot of starters sit out And I think people see it as this big resurgence and that Mac Jones has to absolutely be a part of this. And, you know, just like you, I'm not going to come on here and slander Mac Jones. And Mac Jones has done uh, uh, plenty enough of a of a good job to get the Patriots where they are today. But it's kind of exhibit a when he only has to throw the ball three times and I get the conditions weren't quite there. But, you know handing the ball off all the time. And I love seeing the tweets that like, oh, yeah, Fields did it. He would have fumbled the handoff. It's like, oh, let's not get too excessive here. You know, I don't know how many mm-hmm. tweets you see like that, but some things that you see from some of these NFL fan Twitter accounts are are, are downright hilarious. But, of course, you know, I, I think that they're to go ahead and label it the Patriot way is absolutely the way to do things and that they absolutely won the draft by getting Mac Jones and that he's the only quarterback that's going to turn out to be something. First off, you know, on rookie year for quarterbacks, a lot of people's you know first interpretation, their first read observation off of quarterbacks is usually wrong. You know, a lot of times, and there are people that are the exception to this, but a lot of times the quarterback that looks the best in their rookie year doesn't end up even being the best one from the class. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Um, I mean, I think a clear example of this would probably be like Josh Allen compared to Baker Mayfield. Didn't Baker Mayfield set like the rookie record for touchdowns? I believe um, so. And and he's regressed greatly. I would. I mean, I wouldn't. I don't want to say he's regressed, but I would say he more so has stayed the same. Like he hasn't shown the growth that uh, clearly Josh Allen has. I mean, Josh Allen. Not. I I was able to watch Josh Allen at Wyoming play Iowa in person, and uh, I was not thoroughly impressed. I can tell you that much. Um, he played NIU. And he did not. Oh, look yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. And I think against Iowa, he threw three picks. And it's just like sometimes these guys, it just it takes a couple years to figure out who they were. I always kind of figured that Baker was going to regress because he just he reminded me so much of Case Keenum. Like he's very good at like getting the throw over the middle, um, but he doesn't have very many wow throws, you know, like no. he he's uh, he's he's an. I would say he's a B plus quarterback, um, but we, we don't need to get exactly into this. So, something else I wanted to note on, obviously this isn't a Patriots podcast, but I want to bring in a lot of people think that this Patriots 
culture is something that could be replicated elsewhere. And I highly disagree with that. You know, a lot of people always point to Bill Belichick of, oh, look what Bill Belichick does. Um, he doesn't do this, this, or that. He doesn't trade up in the draft as much or whatever it may be. His guys are all super in order and stuff like that. And more often than not, what history has showed us is that his assistants that have tried to replicate the Patriot way in different locations uh, have failed mightily. Uh, just have to look at the Detroit Lions with Matt Patricia. Players absolutely couldn't stand him because in order to have such a lockdown culture, you have to have a culture of winning first. You know, you can't yeah. just get, you can't just go into somewhere and act like you're, you know, all this and you, you're going to set the tone and everything like that, but also have multi losing seasons back after back after back. The only reason why this work is because Bill Belichick has built up himself to almost like this legendary status with the way that he helped develop Brady and, you know, bringing in random guys at the end of their career and getting more out of them. Like there's a lot of benefit to the players. So they're more willing to abide by that. Uh, you'll actually see that the Patriots and another guy, Josh McDaniels, when he was in Denver with Jay Cutler, I mean, he was not a favorite in that locker room. He fell out of luck with those guys very quickly. Um, yeah, I was about just, to say, you want to loop it into the Bears real quick. I mean, that's Josh yeah. McDaniels. I mean, that name has certainly been uh, thrown around uh, quite a few times for this Bears position. Or actually, someone, and I didn't even uh, really quite remember this until I was reminded about it, but someone that uh, Matt Coach Nagy Chet. got chosen over. Um, yeah. They actually interviewed Josh McDaniels in that coaching cycle and decided to go with Matt Nagy. So it would be a very interesting twist if they end up um, targeting him in this particular offseason. Well, and he ended up accepting the Colts job. And I think he was the second coach hired in that cycle. And then he backed out of it. And that's how they yep. ended up getting Frank Reich. And he backed out of it, like, I think roughly three days later to go back to New England. There's like a lot of questionable things on Josh McDaniels' record. He actually coached Jay Cutler uh, in Denver, if for some people may remember that. Um, and Jay Cutler hated him. And he's always talked really terrible about him. Um, and a lot of players have had this, like, they don't feel like he's like the, the type of character guy you want in it. Um, Nick Sirianni, the Eagles head coach got chosen over him. Uh, it, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a huge fan of what Josh McDaniels would bring to the locker room because I think outside of being a coordinator, like in new England, he doesn't need to be a culture setter. He can just be the offensive guy. Whereas in a, when he becomes a head coach, like he's the guy that you're going to be going to. Um, and I, and on top of that, I don't even think his offense fits Justin Fields that well. You know, like he, he likes taking the quarterback out of the game, even with Brady. You, I mean, you look at what Brady has kind of been able to do more in Tampa where he's obviously it's a difference in scheme, but he's pushing the ball downfield more than he ever did with the Patriots. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think the one part where Josh McDaniels has really evolved as an offensive mind in this league is what he's done with the run. I think he was someone who's more pass focused than now recently in the past couple of years. And you really saw it, especially in this last game is what he's done with running the football and understanding run schemes a lot better, but yeah, a good fit for Justin Fields. Probably not, you know, a good fit for Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery. I, I think he could probably extract mm -hmm. just about everything out of um, both Herbert and Montgomery, but you kind of got to level it off. I mean, I think that, you know, well, you want to make sure that Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery are players that are absolutely getting their fair share of touches 
I think that, you know, maximizing Justin Fields and his potential is what's going to take this team absolutely to the top. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, maybe if Josh McDaniels come, comes in and let's say that the culture ends up being okay, at least all right, passable, it could be he could build this team into a playoff team. But if you want a legit contender, you're going to be looking for someone that's going to be able to to squeeze out every ounce of what Justin Fields can do for you. Absolutely. And the one other thing I wanted to just add before uh, this usage conversation is going to come in handy with our next topic. But the one other thing I wanted to add is that the Belichick assistants that tend to do well are the ones that don't focus so heavily on trying to do things the Patriot way. You know, like Mike Vrabel is someone very specifically that kind of grew up through the Belichick system and has been a very successful head coach so far. And he doesn't even try to be Belichick. He tries to be the best Mike Vrabel. And I think that was constantly the issue with guys like uh, Josh McDaniel and and uh, Patricia. Matt Patricia. Yeah, is that they, they tried to be Belichick. It, almost in the sense that Matt Nagy kind of tries to be like Andy Reid, but he's not yep. really Andy Reid, you know? Um, so he's, I not, think- he's not even doing what's on the back of his play uh, play card correctly. He's not being you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, man. Anyways, let's talk a little bit about player usage then. Um, Yeah, I think it's been it's been a constant struggle for the Bears, man. Like, I think it's been very apparent. It's it's weird because when Matt Nagy came in, I think you saw a, a step up in usage from all of our players compared to John Fox, clearly. Okay. But we also have seen ways that Matt Nagy has been very insufficient in the way that what he's getting out of players. Uh two players that we talked about prior to the podcast were Cordell Patterson and Brashad Perriman. Cordell Patterson just had his first a thousand yard season in his career under Arthur Smith, who was a very, very highly uh, uh, criticized higher for the Atlanta Falcons, who's been doing a pretty good job there, by the way. Um, and, and then Brashaw Perriman, who uh, went back to Tampa Bay and instantly got in the starting rotation, even though he never took a snap for us. Um, it's just like these guys. And then we would talk about Damir Bird, who actually had his best game of the season this past week. And I think that he'll, he should get more snap count uh, going from here. But he had almost 700 yards, averaged like 20 yards per catch in New England. And then he comes here and he's barely doing anything, man. Um, so like, what is the issue? Why isn't Matt Nagy getting the talent that he needs? And also on top of that, where are the areas of this roster where there's like untapped potential? Yeah, no, I think that's a it's a it's a great deep diving question. I think what puzzles me the most is I think there's kind of like a little for me, the way I break it down too is how can Matt Nagy utilize some players and, you know, players that are similar, have similar qualities how can he kind of use them in completely different ways and find ways to maximize one and get so little out of the other? And and one is kind of, I guess there's a little bit of recency bias with it, but like someone like Tariq Cohen, which we haven't been able to see mm-hmm. a whole lot of them. But in my opinion, I don't think Matt Nagy ever really utilized Tariq Cohen perfectly. I, a lot of people would cite mm-hmm. the the runs up the middle with Tariq Cohen. And yes. I, get the, I get that you want to be balanced and you want to be predictable, but how can Matt Nagy use someone like Tariq Cohen so poorly when he's actually able to be on the field? And But in my opinion, use someone like Jakeem Grant so well, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in their mold, like they have a lot of the same qualities and sure, technically by position, they're different. You know, Jakeem, Jakeem Grant's a wide receiver and Tariq Cohen is a running back. If you even want to call him that half the time when he plays, it seems like he's, you know, lining up out wide, but 
you know, I, I feel like in Jakeem Grant's time here, he has been used, you know, pretty well. Matt Nagy has found a way to get the ball into his hands in different ways, whether it be on a jet sweep type of look or some kind of fake double reverse or getting him on a wheel route down the sideline, trying to get him into some open space in the middle of the field. And it's just like, where does it get lost in translation? Why does he, why is he able to extract talent out of some people and not out of others? And I think that's what really puzzles me the most. And what you said about Cordell Patterson, I thought it was, and I think maybe you had a little bit of a different viewpoint on this last year. I thought it was damn near criminal how much they were using him at running back, especially in his time here. Mm. And a lot of the, a lot of the success that he's had in in Atlanta, I have to say this, and I have to admit it, has been on the ground. He's even put up a couple hundred yard games um, in his stat line. But on the flip side, he's also had a couple hundred yard receiving days, something that mm-hmm. he didn't even get close to sniffing when he was here on the Bears. And I yeah. always thought he was extremely underutilized as a deep threat in his time here. And, and yeah, they had Mitch Trubisky, so he's a little bit handicapped there. But it's just like, how do you not see that potential that even on prior teams tape in his time with the Vikings, a little bit in his usage with the Patriots, he was used as a deep threat and there's no getting around, uh, no getting around it. Well, the thing is, I have to give Matt Nagy a little bit of credit because I think he used Cordell better than any team prior in the sense that Cordell was the most productive on offense that he has been. Besides maybe his Patriot year, um, I, I can't remember the exact stat. I, I think Matt Nagy elevated him a little bit, but it's like he never took him to that next level. And that's what I think we see out of a lot of players here is that Matt Nagy, he comes in, he's able to help them a little bit. Perfect example, Darnell Mooney. I feel like Darnell Mooney is, you're seeing him make plays, and you're like, okay, this is good. You know, He's almost going to have his first 1,000-yard season. But there's also so much left to desire there. You know, yeah. like there's, there's so much where you're like, man, he could be used way more than he is. You know, um, he's being, he gets handicapped in certain ways. So it's like, how do you assess Matt Nagy as far as utilization. And I would say he's like at like a C, you know, he's going to be good enough where you're not going to have guys want to leave. Cause I feel like they feel like they're underutilized, but he's not going to take these guys to the next level. You want to know another great example of this? Actually it just popped in my head. Taylor Gabriel. Ta- well, Taylor Gabriel. Yes. But he also is out of the NFL now. Mike Davis. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mike Davis had a thousand a yard season under Joe Brady. He was a real threat the year after he had barely any touches in Chicago. And the, Panthers, the field. and the Panthers don't have a good offensive line either. And when he was on the field, man, in my head, I'm like, get this guy off the field. He's terrible. But it, it, it turns out Matt Nagy just wasn't using him correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, go figure the Bears had a pretty terrible offensive line at that point, and it's gotten even worse <laughs> since Mike Davis has left. But, yeah, I, I think you can go down. I mean, I know Taylor Gabriel's out of the NFL now, but it, to me it was always puzzling, you know, why is this man the main deep threat? I get that he's fast, yeah. but at the same time, you're, you're missing the point of being able to to get this ball, this man the ball. And it would have played into Trubisky so well on a, on a 5 to 15-yard pass and let him get, you know, another – 15 or 20 yards out of it. I mean, mm-hmm. those are the real golden plays in the NFL is when you can take a real, a high percentage play and the fact that it's probably going to be executed well and get that to to take you at least to a first down. I mean, that's a real win right there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can honestly go down, go down the list. And I think with wide receivers is probably one of the main 
one of the main culprits, but I, I think running backs too over his course. And you're even seeing seeing it start to play out a little bit now with Khalil Herbert. I mean, I I agree. You know, I have a I, I think Khalil Herbert is a very good running back, and I know we only saw a certain sample size of him. But for what he was asked to do in that small period of time, he really rose up and he did it and did it very well. And for him to now get to the point where it, it's a rarity seeing him on the field, I think is such a disservice. At, at the very least, uh, Matt Nagy is missing the opportunity to get him on the field. And even if he wants to keep Montgomery on the field, uh, missing the opportunity of having Montgomery and Herbert on the field at the same time. Matt Nagy really struggles to balance three things. What the team is capable of, where the limitations are, like for this team, our offensive line, hey, maybe every single shot with your rookie quarterback shouldn't be a deep look, okay? Then he struggles to balance what his players are good at. And then on top of that, he also struggles significant. Actually, he, he struggles significantly implementing the scheme he desires and then also situational play calling. Like, it is a complete disaster. The play calling or the quote-unquote scheme, if you even want to call it that, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. It's like constantly questioning what you're doing. And it's because it's not even, it's like, it seems like he's trying to execute what he wants to do, but at the same time, what he wants to do doesn't make sense, and it's not what his players are good at. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think that even you can run it back to a staple a staple of Andy Reid's offense is being able to use the tight ends. Mm-hmm. And man, what, 2020 was probably the only year that Matt Nagy did that properly? I mean, yeah. when Trey when Trey Burton wasn't injured, he was not getting used well um, while he was a Chicago Bear. And then Jimmy Graham has been used well in one of his two years, and Cole Komet's finally starting to get the steam going a little bit, and some of that's due to him being still a younger tight end, and you probably can't read into that just quite yet, but even with the veteran tight ends that he's had, or, you know, even you can even look at the case like Jesse James, you know, it almost mm-hmm. sometimes feels like he's out just on the for field. Horstead. Yeah. His it, first game he was gets, elevated. He gets a touchdown. And then yep. we, what have we seen since then? Nothing. I can't, I, you can probably count on one hand all the other times he's been out on the field for an offensive play. So mm-hmm. it, it's really odd. And, and we're getting to the point, actually, another kind of player that we actually didn't make a topic out of this either, too. We can hit on a little bit. I don't think it needs to be drilled into the dirt. Tevin mm-hmm. Jenkins <laughs> on yeah. the field for special teams last week. Um, so you figure, I mean, if he's healthy enough to go into some plays, that he must be OK for the most part. But now it seems like eh, we may or may not see him this year. That's kind of what it feels like. And, and based off the press conferences that I heard, it's kind of like on offensive reps, we're okay with just letting Jason Peters out there. We're not going to even kind of flirt with the idea of putting him at right tackle as far as Tevin Jenkins goes, not Jason Peters. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say that Larry Borum has been a pleasant surprise. He was our highest graded offensive yep. offense, offensive player period last week. Um, so I understand the right tackle conversation. I do have to wonder if this at all has to do with the fact that he's learning a new position Cause like it wouldn't be so bad. I feel like if he's just, I think right now he's trying to transition to that left side and that's why, and Jason Peters has been one of our best offensive linemen. So I guess I will defend Matt Nagy in that, but at the same time, how much are we, how much of a disservice are we doing to our front office by not giving them a chance to evaluate 
Jenkins at left tackle. Because if Jake, Jake, Jenkins is not a good left tackle, next year our offensive line is going to be terrible. And on top of that, if it also prevents us from planning because we know Jenkins is going to be a good right tackle and we know Larry Borum has can play left tackle, so maybe we can switch there. Or Larry Borum, he played guard at Mizzou. So he could flip inside. We might be able to throw Cody Whitehair back to center. And there you go. Now you get just need to add a left tackle. And there's some really good left tackles coming into this next free agency period, um, especially Teron Armstead from the Saints that we might actually have a chance at. So we're kind of doing a disservice, not just, I don't know, like for the now, maybe it makes sense because you want him to take some time to actually learn the ropes of the position. And what I loved hearing from Tevin Jenkins is just talking about how much of a professional and how like informative Jason Peters is because Jason Peters is a hall of famer. And like, if he's, if we put Jenkins out there and he's not doing too well, you might be able to even make the case that we might should try to resign Jason Peters for next year. Maybe. Yeah. We'll see about that. I'm not sure. I don't even know if Jason Peters really quite wants to come back for this next season. We'll see. And we'll see how he feels (laughs) at the end of the season. But I think too, and it kind of builds off to a bigger point for as good as Ryan Pace has been good or lucky, whatever you want to call it at picking uh, some of these late round players, the internal scouting for the bears, especially over the Nagy era has always been tragic, <laughs> you know, mm. and, and it speaks to the usage issue, like, like we basically started out with, but the internal scouting for as far as where talent is certain plays that we can come up for with some of this talent. And then you see some of that talent walk and do good things on other teams this it's nothing but missed opportunities. It's missed opportunities for this team. And, you know, we never made this team a Super Bowl caliber caliber team, but we would have at least seen something more dynamic, something a little bit more representative of a modern day NFL offense. Yeah, you know, I think I might push back a little bit on that because I I don't think the internal scouting has necessarily been terrible because here's, here's the situation. If you get Cordell Patterson back while we're keeping Matt Nagy, is he going to have a thousand yard season? Probably not. No, he's not. He's not, but that (laughs) it speaks to the issue though. I'm not even saying I want Cordell Patterson back. I was a person that was completely fine with him walking while you were someone Mm -hmm. that was a little bit more upset about him. I love Cordell Patterson. He's one of my favorite players ever. Yeah, and, and you know, well, wow, that really speaks to a lot as far as just how down bad we are as Bears fans. <laughs> but not that Cordell Patterson isn't a great player, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, but I mean, I, I think it speaks to the issue. At least in my point of getting the most out of these players, there's some teams in the league, the best teams in the league, find players that are all over their depth chart, and especially on the offense, find things to do with them, give them some kind of wrinkle. Um, mm-hmm. or, or some kind of play, some set of plays, or they have a play drawn up for a certain situation down the line that they might get themselves into, and then they're well coached on that play that maybe they're not practicing, maybe they're not they're not repping that much, but they know when the time comes that they're ready to go out there and execute. And you never feel that way with the Bears. There's never you hardly ever see a play that's that's called whether it's Bill Lazor or Matt Nagy where it's like, oh man, you can tell they were saving that for the absolute right time. Yeah. I, I, I can certainly agree with that. I just the reason why I bring that up is actually something I mentioned to you earlier that we also don't have on the rundown, but I think it's interesting how Bears fans criticize Ryan Pace. Because we we've had the discussion before, like if Matt Nagy is such 
a bad head coach. And if Mitch Trubisky was as bad of a quarterback as we recognized him to be, then why have the Bears had haven't had a losing season in three years? And because realistically, it's because the team is was not so much now was extremely talented and was built with a lot of good young draft picks that were selected during the John Fox era. Listen, I understand the criticisms of Ryan Pace, and I think the best ways to criticize him is he drafted Trubisky, he drafted Kevin White. There, there's certainly other other circumstances. You're missing you the make. big one, which is the one winning season in the seven years the, as a yeah, GM. That that is also a, a fair one. Uh, however, the 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 criticism I want to speak to specifically is how people act like Ryan Pace wanted the offensive line and the cornerbacks to be as degraded as they were or losing some of the, like cutting Kyle Fuller. Like people act as if we chose Kendall Vildor over Kyle Fuller. It was like, no, what we did is we bought in really hard to trying to make the Trubisky naggy experience work. And honestly, in hindsight, like it, if Justin Fields was in that situation, you do the exact same thing. I think it was the right methodology. It was just the wrong player and the wrong coach. Um, and what we saw... <laughs> <Two> this strikes. <laughs> so, listen, listen. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What we have seen this season, it's not like Ryan Pace thought this was going to be a better team than last season. He didn't. He. We are reaping the negative effects of selling to try to make that happen. And, you know, going into next season, we're going to have a lot of cap space. So that, that's what I want to say is like, don't think that Ryan Pace actually was like, oh yeah, Kendall Vildor is giving us a better chance to win. He cut down players because we, this wasn't intended to be our winning season. We have a rookie quarterback. We're retooling. I mean, I guess you can counter that point though with, has Ryan Pace always had a misjudged image of the team and jumped the gun too soon, getting this team in a cap situation where Every team in the league has to make cap casualty cuts. You know, there's, you know, most teams in the league, they have a position where, mm-hmm. hey, they wish they were a little bit stronger, but, you know, their option that they had there originally was just getting a little too expensive. So it's the next man up. I, I think that. I don't I, think so. I, I don't think, I don't think that he jumped the gun on it. Like, I think. Oh, I don't. The, oh. That's fine. You can say that you didn't jump the gun on it. Maybe it's a little folly in 2018. I think that, you know, I guess maybe. We forget how good that defense was. That defense was insane. Dude, the only reason why they had, what, 12-4 and record that year? Like, they could have very, I mean, they won a lot of close games. And I don't have the number in front of me, but I, I still don't believe the offense was averaging over 25 points a game. It, the mm-hmm. offense was ranked like 22nd in the NFL or something so like that. So still but pretty it was, tragic. It was before Matt Nagy got figured out. You know, he, he like no one really knew what Matt Nagy's play calling was going to be like his scheme, whatever, because he was under Reed. Um, and I think once they figured it out, that's when the struggles I, began occurring. I'm just saying that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not I'm going to be a little bit of a wuss and maybe not say that we need to go one way or the other here. But I'm saying that apologizing and kind of being a little bit of an apologist for what Ryan Pace has done and and some of the shortfalls and saying, hey, okay, well, I mean, obviously he didn't want, you know, you know, we'd rather have Kyle Fuller there still, but it just had to happen because of the cap. It's like, 
you know, there wasn't a certain set of rules that was made for this Bears team. All the other 31 mm-hmm. GMs in the league had to deal with this with this cap. And, you know, there's some teams that manage it way worse than the Bears, 100%. So, you know, it's it's so tough with Ryan Pace because, yeah, you can do a lot of, well, it was Mitchell Trubisky, and, yeah, it was Matt Nagy. And if we think Matt Nagy is so bad that he needs to be fired, then what do we really think about Ryan Pace and his job that he's done as mm-hmm. a GM? I think it for me it's just how how long do you kick the can down the road? How many how many other does he recover by doing a few good things well, but still doesn't really get the team anywhere because he still makes a few bad decisions? You know how long do you let that go on? How it's just I think that in a positive way he's brought this Bears team up from complete rubble. I mean when John Fox was here and what he picked up from Phil Emery was tragic, and he's made the team significantly better that cannot be understated that this team is a long ways ahead of where it was back then at the same time though this team is still far off and while the bears have been improving other teams in the league have been improving and they've been improving a lot faster here's what i think the best situation is because i think i i understand the questioning of ryan pace i i i like the idea that has been floated around of promoting him to president and then bringing in a face that's the new GM and seeing how he works. But honestly, if I'm being completely honest, I think I would want them to promote within. The Bears have a really, really talented, really, really respected assistant director of player personnel in Champ Kelly. Like he is constantly getting looks to be GM other places. If you want to retain him and make sure another team can't steal him from you and also get the benefit of, hey, we have this regime that has literally taken us from being the laughing stock in the NFL to actually like a half-decent team. We think that this might be able to work. Let's just do some restructuring. You know, kind of what the Green Bay Packers did when they brought in Brian Gutekunst. Now, I'm not a huge Brian Gutekunst fan, but I'm just saying <laughs> the, these, these restructurings can work. And especially getting rid of Ted Phillips, who I think is the most indicting. And I think Ted Phillips, out of all people, is the one that needs to be addressed over, even over, I would probably say Matt Nagy, because just the amount of terrible GMs, terrible coaches that have came in under him have been so laughable. Like, it's just awful. Like, Ryan Pace looks like Jesus Christ in compared to some of the other people that we've had in that front office position under Ted Phillips. Yeah. I mean, I'll just say this though. I think your reading of the room is completely terrible. <laughs> right now, where Bears, me. where Bears fans want just about everyone gone, and you know, from top to bottom in this team, I think the last thing that most people want to hear is a restructuring from within. Dude, Not- do you want George? Do you want? Oh my God! Do you want ownership to make the decision? Do you want Ted Phillips? To try no. to bring in another person, Ryan Pace. That, I'm telling you guys, we have we have a terrible ownership situation. If you have any faith in the McCaskies being able to bring in a better organization than what's currently that that what's currently controlling the football, uh, the football operations, you are insane. Like, well, you, on, honestly, the McCaskies are awful. If you hate the McCaskies, you should want to keep Ryan Pace. Okay, fair point. Fair point. And you know what? I, I, I hope that this clip makes it up on a YouTube because I want to I want to hear what people have to say about that. But I think, yeah, you, you eventually got to where my bigger point is, which is 
I hate to be kind of a little bit of an old beat up Bears fan where it's like, well, this team's not going to do anything after they won their one Super Bowl. But this team rehire John Fox. This team, this team is doomed with the ownership. It's been doomed with the ownership forever, forever since I've been alive. It's just it's not it's not working. And until ownership changes, I think it's going to be tough to see a lot of things restructure and. You know, I think the Bears are going to look to make some pretty wide sweeping changes in this next offseason. I think they're probably going to try to bring in some of those football guys and maybe Ryan Pace is going to remain as one of them. Um, the question is going to be, do they do it right or do they just force it? Do they force it to to make it happen to say, hey, we made change and we did this and we did that? Or are they actually going to be changes for the good? And that's what we're going to have to see play out. I mean, it's going to be a very interesting offseason what we're walking into 2022 every offseason for this damn bears team is interesting i mean you know <laughs> bring it back to last money, year boy. take it to our take it back to our early december podcast of last year and be like ah you know what like this next offseason is gonna be real interesting <laughs> yeah right exactly exactly that's that's the best thing about the bears you you don't get to be excited during the season but when the offseason comes around Man, that's where the excitement lies. Here, March listen, through July is exciting, man. Dude, it, it, it <laughs> is. And, and the good thing is, you know, Ryan Pace is going to bring in some meaningful names. The question is, can Ryan Pace, and, and this has been the question of Ryan Pace all along. You can you can bring up the more macro ideas. Ryan Pace hit a gold mine in this last draft. That is where Ryan Pace is really a great GM, is I would argue that there might not be a better drafting GM than Ryan Pace in the NFL right now. Like over the past three years, I think the bears have brought in, if you look at, if you look at, um, geez, who was it? I can't remember. I think it was next gen stats or something like that. They put up a, uh, a infographic about team picks versus pick performance. The bears have had by far the lowest pick but also the highest pick performance. Like Ryan Pace is really good at that. I think where you have to really question Ryan Pace is when it comes to some of his off, like his free agency signings, like, yeah, you can mention that. Um, but also like the bigger decisions, like head coach and stuff like that. That's why in my head, I, that's why I lean towards sticking with him. Cause I'm like, Hey, if you give him enough chances, you know, look at uh, Arizona's GM, it, it, it works out or, or Tampa Bay, Jason Light. Uh, he, uh, he's had a couple chances and, uh, it ended up working out for them. Granted, they got Tom Brady by a miracle, but <laughs> yeah, we just got to wait until he wants to become a bear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, maybe by the time he's like 48, 49 and like his career is actually on the downswing, maybe we'll get lucky enough to bring him on here. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll see about that. Okay. Let's, let's go ahead and move on. Cause we actually have, uh, a, quite a few more topics to go through. So uh, we hope that you guys, well, we don't hope that you have a long commute, but if you do have a long commute, you're in for a show. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I kind of wanted to point this out here. I noticed this while I was gone. Um, a lot of Bears fans believe these fake reporters that uh, don't have blue check marks by their name and rumors. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to go into the exact individuals that did this, but there were uh, especially dur- around the trade deadline, there were a lot of uh, people who don't necessarily have football backgrounds leaking information to the media that a lot of Bears fans were uh, super excited about or super interested in or, or freaking out about or whatever. Listen, I'm going to tell you this. If they don't have a blue check mark by their name on Twitter, don't listen to them. And even the individuals that do have a blue check mark by their name, 
if they're not involved in the football operation or have had experience in football operations, don't listen to them either. Because listen, I feel like a lot of people don't understand the way that teams operate. Very few people in the building know what's going on. Very, very few people. So like really, if you're not getting your news from like a top end beat reporter, like maybe Hubarkish, like Hubarkish has gotten a couple things right. Um, especially on the rumors, he got something recently very wrong uh, when it comes to uh, the Bears going to fire Matt Nagy following uh, the Detroit Lions game um, and and the fact that he canceled meetings, which turned out to be false as well. But like those guys, you can like, okay, maybe there's like a 30% chance they're right. But if it's not Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport, just ignore it. That, yeah, I mean, you basically hit my point. I think all I really have to say on this is just wait till you see the tweet by Adam Schefter, Ian Rapport, or Jay Glazer. And, and I think that's, you know, even if they, if either, if any of them say just per sources is still fine, it's going to be pretty, pretty good. They're, <laughs> they're tapped into just about everything. But those are the three that you really need to look out for. And there's a couple other ones that are, you know, uh, basically on the money. And then the local guys, you brought up Hub Barkish. I mean, very respected guy around here. Um, of course, I think a lot more local for the Bears, uh, Brad Biggs, uh, Dan Brad Pompey. Biggs, yeah. um, I, I mean, Brad Biggs is going to have a, most of the stuff he says is just about right. But at the same time, mm-hmm. he's not going to be breaking anything that's super trendy. You know, I mean, he does, mm-hmm. he's, he's very day to day. But yeah, stick to those names. I mean, locally, stick to that. I mean, Hubarkish might be might be a little more spicy than those other people occasionally. And he's going to say, hey, Hubarkish has a lot of things I don't even agree with about football. Yeah. Oh, me too. Um, me too. But Completely. at the same time, he's he's a guy that's been around there, been around there forever. But hey, it's listen to, you know, if you're checking on your phone and you're scrolling through Twitter, just wait for that Rappaport tweet. Wait for wait for that chef to tweet and you know occasionally that Jay Glazer when he's the one you know breaking information. And I'll tell you this as well. A lot of the time when these more local guys get any sort of news, it's because agents are talking to them and and intentionally manipulating the media uh, in order to get some sort of outcome. Something that popped up really recently is uh, Oklahoma said that, or or someone reported that Oklahoma is going to try to land Cliff Kingsbury as their next head coach. (laughs) Cliff Kingsbury currently has the top record in the NFC. Um, And, you know, that's, uh, it's a clear example of trying to get better deals for you as an, as a coach or whatever it may be. But again, I, I think that like when people say they have insider sources, especially when they don't have a blue check mark, no matter who they are, their insider source is like some guy that works in, uh, works for the works for soldier field security heard something <laughs> like, like that's, that's who it is. Um, I know Reese, I, I think both of us actually do have a little bit of knowledge within the NFL. Don't want to hint too much. Um, well, and, and, but, but I would also say that none of those people would ever risk their jobs by exactly any of that information to us. Or, or so. here's the other thing. Or we as individuals wouldn't leak that information because it could potentially negatively impact that person's job. So well, exactly. Yeah. Any <laughs> anyone with sources, a they're either not going to leak that information or anyone with sources is not going to leak information because the people that they get that information from are trusting that individual to 
not leak that information. Yeah, so exactly. essentially anyone that, that doesn't have a blue check mark, the reason why Ian Rappaport gets so much leaks is because it's intentionally leaked to them. Like the coaches and, and, and players know that when they go to Ian Rappaport, that's going to get to the media. Um, that doesn't happen with random people. There's no reason for random people to get these sources. Um, but I digress. That being said, Adam Breer of MMQB. It, that's his name, right? Adam yeah. Adam Breer? Yeah. I believe so. Okay. Uh, just wanted to double check. Adam Breer of MMQB. Uh, he came out and mentioned the possibility of Sean Payton becoming the head coach of the Chicago Bears. And I don't think he necessarily said this out of, oh, I have sources. And, and by the way, he, he is a very uh, respectable source. Like if he says something, th- there is validity behind it. I don't know if he was necessarily saying as if he had sources telling him this or rather drawing some conclusions. And l- let me lay down the landscape for you guys. Sean Payton, as you guys, if you guys know, he uh, graduated from one of the Naperville high schools in Chicago. Uh, he went to Eastern Illinois. Um, so at the same college that uh, both Ryan Pace and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, weirdly enough, went Tony to. Tony Romo. Tony Romo, too. Like, w- super interesting. Um, Quarterback school. Yeah, su- super interesting there. Um, he also played for the Chicago Bears for one year in 1987. Um, and currently the team that he's on, the Saints don't have a very bright future, unfortunately. Uh, they, they Again, they're kind of in the situation where they need to take some losses because of trying to win so hard um, when they had Drew Brees, as they should have. Um, but it seems like they might be in a little bit of a purgatory going forward where they don't really have a good QB option. There's not many good QBs in the draft. Uh, they're like $80 million under the cap. So they have like a ton of cap space they need to work around. And and there's been, and, and Sean Payton, he's been coaching for a while, man. Um, kind of got, you know, he, he kind of might be reaching to the point where he might not want to go through with another rebuild at this point. Um, so, so he kind of drew the connection. So come that, to the Bears. Yeah, I, <laughs> exactly. Re- state of rebuilding. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, well, the Bears, from the reports, uh, also from uh, Breer, Albert Breer. That's what it is. It's not Adam Breer. It's Albert Breer. Uh, the Bears are one of the most highly desired coaching situations. And a lot of people are like, why would that be? How could that be? They have a lot of young talent. The NFL views Justin Fields as a franchise quarterback it's in the city of Chicago. And if you could resurrect the bears, I mean, you're going to be a hero. Like the way that we hold on to Mike Ditka, man, like, could you even imagine a a coach winning, having multiple winning seasons under the bears right now, how he would be talked about. Incredible. Absolutely. Incredible. Um, So it is a very highly desired job. So I guess Albert Breer is, is making the connection that, listen, a lot of ties. Ryan Pace knows him from his time in New Orleans. This could potentially be a possibility. Reese, do you think that this could be a possibility? And if he were to, by some miracle, be able to become the coach of the Bears? Yeah, I think it's a possibility. What are the expectations? Think, you know, I think it's you know similar to like what Andy Reid's departure would be from a place like Philadelphia where... There's kind of been a long relationship there and there's been the success, but that success happened a little while ago and it's kind of just become 
a little dormant. There's been a lot of attempts, mm-hmm. a lot of runs at it. Um, but now just kind of a little change of scenery. Um, and, and sometimes that's all it takes. And not that it would be the Saints' fault, and not that it's been Sean Payton's fault, but you know, every now and then it, the Saints have been kind of figured out. You know, especially mm-hmm. within their own division. A lot. Well, the Buccaneers have surpassed them for a multitude of reasons. Um, but at the same time, you know, that could be just what he needs to refresh refresh his game a little bit. And I think that Sean Payton has shown the ability to work with players that, you know, have differences in their game. I mean, he's someone that has utilized a player like Taysom Hill. So I don't think it'd be too difficult for him to create an offensive game plan for someone like like Justin Fields. And maybe you could even see a new a new part of Sean Payton open up and he can throw the ball downfield a little bit more and even more than he could do with someone like Drew Brees. So mm-hmm. I, I think it, it actually does make a certain amount of sense. And I think that there is not a huge chance, but a small chance that he could be someone and maybe someone that's even contemplating a little bit of his own future with New Orleans and possibly thinking about getting an out. You know, yeah, I certainly wouldn't go on record saying, I'm, you know, he's going to be one of the guaranteed top three candidates. But I think if he does become available, his name shoots pretty high up that list. And on top of that, an- another person to mention is Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians, when Carson Palmer retired, he said, man, I with the Cardinals, he's like, man, I am done. And then a year later, he rises from the ashes and uh, all of a sudden unretires and yeah, like a Phoenix and goes to Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay actually needed to send a draft pick to Arizona um, because Arizona technically still had him under contract, as I'm sure the Chicago Bears would have to do if they want Sean Payton. And I can only imagine what that draft pick would be. Um, But, you know, it's kind of the same situation where it's like, man, I I kind of uh, have achieved what I needed to achieve there. He had some good years. It kind of became, it did kind of become stale. Um, maybe I go back home and, and try to make something happen there with a GM that I trust and respect and a quarterback that I like too. I mean, Sean Payton was rumored to be gushing over Justin Fields in the draft. And that's something that I, I do actually take stock in when we're talking about potential coaching candidates for the Chicago Bears. Maybe you don't want a guy that passed up Justin Fields in the draft. Maybe that's not the best fit. Uh, someone like, you know, we're, I'm sure we'll go into this, Jimmy Garoppolo. Or it's not Jimmy Garoppolo. Jeez, oh my God. Uh, You're talking about Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, Ky- with Kyle Shanahan. Trans- Trey Lance. Yeah, exactly. Drafting Trey Lance over uh, Justin Fields. You know, I, I think that uh, having a situation like that could not be the best. Um, but then again, coaches make mistakes. GMs make mistakes. Uh, could be fine. But anyways, I, I guess the bigger thing I want to ask is then it let's say that champagne's off the table. We have to constantly return this question because it is what's ultimately going to define the success of the Chicago Bears team and Justin Fields. Where are you sitting at right now with these head coaches, man? Because to me, I feel like every single option is flawed. Yeah, it's not looking particularly great. And I think that someone that we talked about extensively last podcast and dabble is trending ever so downwards, which is unfortunate. Um, even though he's kind of had, you know, certain chances of it, but I think, you know, Kellen Moore is, you know, maybe kind of just like flatlining. I think our criticisms of he's got a lot of talent to work with are, are pretty, pretty set in stone. So mm-hmm. you got, the you other gotta, thing re- real quickly to interrupt. The other thing I worry about Kellen Moore is, He's kind of more of a soft-spoken guy. And I don't know like how he would be leading the locker room. Truthfully. Yeah. 
And I, that is something to be concerned about when you're a head coach. Kind of the same issue with Josh McDaniels, except with Josh McDaniels, it's like questionable decision-making. Yeah, and like, you know, of course, there's the Byron Leftwich, and I think you're going to have the certain fans that are still clamoring over it. And I have seen the Pat Fitzgerald thing come up. I don't think the Bears should go that route at all. All, re- all respect to Pat's fi- Pat Fitzgerald, but I don't think they should go that that way. And, you know... It's really interesting. At this point, I don't think there's anyone that's really leading the pack for me. I think I need to see how the rest of the season plays out and ultimately see who gets fired, which, you know, maybe those aren't going to be your first candidates, but see who finishes it strong. And maybe there's going to be an assistant somewhere that rises to the top. You know, I, I really thought about this over the past 24 hours pretty extensively. And I, I previously said, I think I wanted Dable. But seeing Dable lay the egg that he did and then reading a little more into the criticisms of him in Buffalo, a lot of people have been very critical of him in certain times where they feel like he hasn't been the best play caller uh, in specific moments. Uh, specifically, he caught a lot of criticism when he was versus the Jaguars and then obviously versus the Patriots. And he's 1-4 against teams with winning records this year, which is a very high concern. I think... My top candidate right now is Byron Leftwich. And the reason why I say this, I did a little more digging onto Byron Leftwich and the amount of people praising him for his leadership is just, it's there's an insane number of people praising him for his leadership. They say that he is like the top guy. He sees things from the quarterback's eyes. Tom Brady speaks super highly of him. I do worry about him being under Arians. That being said, he is the play caller, which is something which is a concern we had under Matt Nagy. He never really play called him when he did in Kansas City for the past. I think he did it like the last six games uh, in his final year there. He wasn't all that successful with it. But Byron has been calling it for a while. And the the success on offense didn't really start with Tom Brady. They were a very successful offense as far as yards per game touchdowns, everything with Jameis at quarterback. The real concern with Byron is how much is Arians playing into the offensive equation. Arians himself claims that he's not that involved. I disagree with that. I'm sure he does have a lot of involvement. But I think I'm at this point after seeing, hearing from Kellen Moore, seeing what Dable has put out over the past couple weeks, I would be willing to take that risk taking the risk that maybe Arians is lying. He certainly looks like one of the stronger, stronger options. I I think right now, you know, far and away, he's the one that seems the least flawed, at least to say the, at least to say that, you know, I think that everyone else has kind of very noticeable flaws or criticisms or critiques that you can pick out. I think that Byron Leftwich, like you said, with Jameis Winston, I mean, he can't really help all the interceptions that he had, but Jameis Winston was still a 30-plus touchdown quarterback in his offense. Led the so, NFL in yards, too. I think he yeah. had the passing yards and touchdowns. Wait, maybe he didn't have the touchdowns. But I don't think he, he led the touchdowns. He led, he led the NFL in yards. Yeah. So, I mean, that really does say something. I don't think Jameis is all that bad, but he's not one of the top five, one of the top ten quarterbacks in the league. So it certainly is an accomplishment to bring him to that. And I think that, you know, the play calling certainly is an advantage, too. I think that he's someone that can step in and do that 
and he's also going to be able to, I think, build up a pretty decent uh, group of assistants as well. I think he's built up enough of a, a repertoire, enough, enough of a, um, I don't know, a kind of a backing in the NFL so far, even though he hasn't been a coach for long enough or, or a super long time. I think that he'd be able to bring on some assistance as well, which is something that's often quite understated. But as a head coach, it's very important to be able to recruit some some assistants that are going to have your corner. And even if they end up getting poached for a head coaching position themselves or a bigger position somewhere else, um, still to have that knowledge is is a huge plus. So right now, who who would be your pick for Bears head coach? If it, If the season ended today, who are you pounding the table for? <laughs> I'm not pounding the table for anyone. I'm going to say that, but uh, I, I think I can stay steady on Kellen Moore. I think I can still get his um, mm. support, but I think Byron Leftwich is, is certainly, he's been someone that bring up his name for a very long time, brought up his name last year um, as someone that would be a, a great addition to this Bears team. All right. So let's go ahead and get out of the off season, even though I know that's where we live as Bears fans. Let's talk about this week, man. And it's a little hard to speak on the moment. I feel like we talk a lot about the offseason and the more higher level issues this team is having. And sometimes we don't focus enough on the week to week occurrences. Uh, But, man, we have the Packers next week. And not only do we have not only do we have the Packers, but we have the Packers in Lambeau Field. Uh, So it's going to be quite the game. The good news is Justin Fields. Is officially set to return. A-Rob might return. We might get Akeem Hicks back too. David Montgomery has been dealing with some injuries from last game, but I could only imagine he will play considering he finished last game. And here's the real question. A, let's start off with this. What do the Bears need to do to beat the Packers? Yeah, yeah, it's um, that's the home run question right there. They need to... It doesn't even just start with a balanced offense. It starts with setting up the rest of the game plan from the first quarter. I think that, I mean, they need to establish a run. I don't think they need to be running the ball on second and long. But I think if they can stay somewhat ahead of the chains, it's going to be um, a, a big, if they can stay on schedule, it's going to be huge. So they need to, to start mm-hmm. out with providing Justin Fields enough time to get the ball out. Um, even if that means kind of staying quick on the pass game, but giving them especially enough time on play action plays. If the Bears really want to stay around in this game, they need to establish a run and they're going to be able to hit some deep pass with Justin Fields. That's what can change the identity of this game real quick. If they can go and get, you know, it's nice to have this nice sustained seven minute drive, which are just, you know, kind of like the holy grail where you take like 12 plays and you go the distance of the field and, and eat a lot of clock and then punch into the end zone. Those are complete gut punches. But something that really changes or flips momentum is when you can hit that three or four play 80 yard drive or, you know, especially mm-hmm. where it's just that one big explosive play. So there's got to be a couple of things dialed up to, to get an explosive play because, you know, this offense is going to need to stay, score more than three touchdowns to really keep themselves in it. I think especially with the way that this Bears defense has been exposed the past couple of weeks as well. Um, I know the turnovers and bad field position has kind of been a uh, a bit of a, a issue with that as well. hasn't been fully on the defense. But Andy with, yeah, with no Khalil Mack in there, you know, Robert Quinn's going to need to be huge. They're going to need to get some some good pressure. Hopefully Travis Gibson can make an impact on the game as well. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that mostly it comes from generating some kind of explosive plays. And how do they do that? I think it comes from play action. 
Um, I think that one of the go-tos has been getting uh, Darnell Moody on some double moves. So have some of those drawn up. Don't just do it one time, and if it fails, go away from it. They need to be pretty persistent about trying to hit the big play. Yeah, I mean, obviously having more big plays would be extremely beneficial. Listen, I'm going to break it down to really three keys, and I'm I'm pretty confident if the Bears can execute all three of these I would be surprised if they lose. The first one, you need to be over 70% in the red zone. Like last game, if we if we had a higher red zone scoring percentage, or at least touchdown percentage, we probably would have won that game against the Packers. Yeah. Um, the red zone, you need to be perfect in the red zone. When you're in the 20, you can't be kicking field goals. That's a losing game versus this Packers team and Aaron Rodgers specifically. You need to score touchdowns. Secondly, you need to try to control Devontae Adams as best as you can. Uh, Jalen Johnson did a really good job last time, but I noticed the areas where the Bears struggled was when they flexed Adams into the slot and Jalen stayed on the outside corner, and then it, it was most likely Duke Shelley uh, on uh, Devontae Adams. If you can keep Devontae Adams under 75 yards and don't allow him to have a touchdown, you're on the right track. And then finally, be have a beneficial penalty uh, yardage. So don't be in a penalty deficit. You can't be, when you're playing against the Packers, you can't be having holding calls. You can't be having an eligible receiver downfield. You can't have 12 men on the defense, which I'm sure we'll see. I mean, if, I, <laughs> if I'm if i trying to make a, if I'm trying to make a prop bet, that would be one of the, <laughs> that game after game, that has to be one of the <laughs> best bets for the Bears is having 12 men on the field. Um, except hilariously versus the Steelers when we, when, oh, good thing we didn't have 12 men on the field. Our 11th player was leaving the field. Um, yeah, so don't do it. Justin Fields, if Justin Fields has more than two touchdowns, which he hasn't had in a game yet, um, I, I think we win the game, truthfully. Yeah, I think too, you know, if Montgomery is somehow limited in some capacity, I think it could be a blessing mm-hmm. in disguise and not because Montgomery is, is bad or anything, but I think we could have a more balanced offense. We could get um, the ball to Khalil Herbert on, mm-hmm. you know, plays out of the backfield. We, we've been seeing it more recently with, you know, kind of getting the chip and then run out into the flat. So if we're able to get Cole Komet, Khalil Herbert, players like that involved in the game like that, and we're able to pick up an eight-yard gain on, on first down, that's going to be huge. You know, if this team can consistently get itself in situations where it's second and two, second and three, second and five, oh my goodness, if we could get second and five, Mm-hmm. Then I don't have a problem with running the ball on second down, especially yeah. if we're inching our way closer to the to the chains. Um, and then, yeah, going for it, being aggressive on fourth down, I think especially, too, as you're creeping up more towards the red zone, it's pretty clear you have to have the mentality that, you know, kicking, you know, more than two or three field goals in this game is, is going to lose you the game. Yeah. I can feel pretty confident saying that if Cairo Santos is on his fourth or fifth attempt in the game, I don't care how good the that, Bears have done. been at driving. Yeah, I don't care how good the Bears have been at driving the ball down the field. It's a losing game already. Um, and I think defensive-wise, of course, putting pressure, um, having that contain on Aaron Rodgers, there's nothing that makes me more furious than watching that man stroll to a 15-yard game yep. because the defensive line didn't have the integrity to hold the outside. Or run a touchdown in. 
Yeah, exactly. None of that. Um, <laughs> watch out for the, of course, a, a play that I've seen rise up more in the NFL and college football too has been the the simple uh, QB boot off of the play action on the one yard line where the uh, quarterback just strolls in and, and no one's following him. There needs to be some real discipline on this defense. And uh, a play that should have one... been called for Justin Fields like 300 times this year, but has not been called one time. Right. It would have been the easiest play for him in his existence to run. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know what? I, I think another thing, of course, it's such a buzzword, too. But the, the turnovers, of course, I, I think staying ahead on that, if we can somehow get a pick, if we can force a fumble, if this Bears defense can get two turnovers in the day, it's going to be a huge boost to this Bears team, especially if we can get some favorable field position even though the bears don't do anything in the red zone um at least being there is going to give us a chance too <laughs> when was the last time the bears got a pick i think i know the answer but i could be wrong i think it was to gibson right like a couple weeks ago did he have one yeah i feel I, like he's, you're right he's the he most might... recent bears player i remember getting a pick before that i want to say the last pick was in the Bengals game was that jalen johnson Either Jalen Johnson or Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith had a pick six. Yeah. Jalen Johnson had a pick that game as well. But man, the turnovers have been bad. We have not. That's where been the Bears got most of their picks on that yeah. three straight. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, if we can do that, yeah. <laughs> we might have a chance. <laughs> yeah, but uh, even if we get three straight picks, there's zero guarantee that we score on any of those. It, um, and don't let A.J. Dillon uh, have a big game either. If the Packers can do well on the ground, the game's over too. The defense um, so. the, the defense needs to, to play how they played against the Cardinals. The Cardinals, need, the, the defense they, did fine when they didn't have a short field. Well, yeah, and they need to play how they played against the Packers in the first matchup. Yeah, that was fine I mean, too. You look, you look at the the score. It was four thirty eight left in the game, right before Aaron Rodgers did the "I own you" run into touchdown. A seventeen to fourteen game. If you have the Packers at seventeen points with four minutes left in the fourth quarter, the defense did a damn good job. And what so what it, what else happened? The Bears, on top of that, Justin Fields marched the team down the field and scored a touchdown. He did the same thing versus the 49ers and the same thing versus the Steelers, and the defense blew it all three. times times yep so keep the game in check you know it's it doesn't have to be um it, you find out you find out what you're exploiting for whatever reason the bears seem to be it's it's cooled off a little bit but towards the beginning of the season they were really good at their first like 10 scripted plays that they did at the beginning of the game <laughs> find what you're doing well on those plays and keep running with it exploit the weaknesses there's the the Green Bay Packers defense has gotten better, but they're still they're still far from perfect. So mm-hmm. there's and they don't have either of their starting tackles. So that's another benefit. If you can get the rush going, you can get some sacks. You're going to need four sacks at least. I feel like to win this game. Um, but yeah. So anyways, let's start off. Let, let let's let's end off with just some basic predictions. Yep. Reese, Reese, what's your score? How close do you think this will be? Because you know sometimes the score doesn't always follow like the the actual like trajectory right. of the game. Like a team could score a touchdown in garbage minutes, or yeah. um, you know. So let me know. It's tough. You know, I, there's some little part of me that's saying that like, hey, this is the week the Bears might they play a good game, and the motivation is there. I you know really like what I heard from Justin Fields in this recent press conference, just oh, talking me too. about the extra motivation, um, not being angry though. I, I think that the as far as the football maturity goes, I mean, 
Justin Fields is 100% there. And how so much I- Ro... Let me also mention this. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but Roquan Smith and David oh, Montgomery have developed into true in true leaders on this team. It is laughable that these guys aren't camp- captains every week. Yeah. No, I, I think that my score prediction is a Packers 34... I think the Bears can get into the 20s, though. So I give the Bears 24, actually. So I think they, they keep it within 10. 10. I have a, I have a little bit of faith, um, and I think that the game might still be somewhat within reach in the third quarter. But I think by the time we really get into true minutes, you know, under 10 minutes in the fourth, I think the Packers probably got it wrapped up. All right, I'm, I'm going to give you this. I think the okay. Bears score three touchdowns for 21 points. I think they get – but I still think Matt Nagy wimps out and scores two field goals. So I think it's going to be 27 from the Bears. And I think the Packers end up winning 35 to 27. I think it's a closer game, but the Packers close it out at the end, very similar to this last game. Then again, the last time we went to Lambeau Field, it didn't turn out too well from us. But I'm going to say this. I think Justin Fields could have his best game yet this week. Even though he's coming off an injury, and if he has a little bit of a down game, it wouldn't surprise me because he he's mentioned the pain isn't 100% yet. He hasn't had as much, you know, a, a huge part of him growing this year was just getting more comfortable with his receivers. Who knows how that development got disrupted because of this injury. It wouldn't surprise me if he didn't have it, if he had a down game, but I would be very surprised if Justin Fields had an average game. I think that Justin Fields is either going to have a really good game or we're going to see him dip off a little bit because of his injury. Yeah, I just hope he doesn't try to do too much. When like, yeah, if you if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, like like the end of the Buccaneers game, he was trying yeah. to do way too much. It led to having more interceptions, more pick, more uh, fumbles, whatever it was. Um, I I man, I like I it, it's hard to stay positive this year. But the one benefit is that we have Justin Fields and the Packers have Jordan Love for their future. Okay. <laughs> so if, so as you guys are watching this game, just remember how laughably bad Jordan Love was against the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and I think that'll bring us all delight. I mean, how, man, I, I'm so bummed out I wasn't able to do the podcast that, that week. But how much were Bears fans able to embrace after Justin Fields had the top PFF rating and Jordan Love had the very worst in the NFL last week? <laughs> Perfection. A good feeling. Perfection. You know? <laughs> Again, we'll live for five years down the line. <laughs> exactly. But anyways, guys, thank you so much for tuning in again. Uh, we appreciate all the support. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, look, we're looking forward to having a very long career uh, reporting on Justin Fields. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah, there's always the future, you know. Us Bears fans know that. There's always the next season, and um, but a good way, a good little cherry on top of this season for as bad as it's been, is be if we can go out there and wrap things up against the Packers. And um, yeah, as always, I know that Austin usually does this part, but with the the review, I know we still didn't get any for this past week. But please, please feel free to leave that five star and written review. Um, we'll be sure to read it out on the podcast and you know still definitely appreciate all the support that we've gotten from every single one of y'all um, I, I still feel like this year has been a great year for the podcast even though things haven't gone quite as to plan and they never do um, but I appreciate all the support all the comments on YouTube 
And uh, there's more coming for you this way, uh, the uh, your way this week. Too. We still <laughs> got another video in the docket that's going to be ready to go up. And uh, you'll be getting some more videos out of this podcast as well. Some more things after Packers post game, a lot to delve into. Um, so there's a lot to do, and I appreciate you guys hanging in there with us. Yeah, looking forward to uh, attending training camp next year. Hopefully, uh, we're able to make that happen. Uh, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will next year. Um, and also, there's going to be a lot of growth and a lot of change coming to this podcast going forward. Um, it's 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 going to be great. It's going to be really great. And we, we won't stop until we are the, the best Bears podcast on Apple Podcasts. So we appreciate you guys listening, especially right now. If you could, again, leave that rating and review. Helps us so much. But anyways, guys, thank you so much and bear down. Bear down.